0: Welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And I feel like we do this every season, so this is a little redundant, but I just can't believe that we're here with our penultimate episode of this latest season. How have we gotten here, Emily?
1: I... uh, Through a lot of hard work. Um, I'd say a lot of effort on both of our parts. (laughs) Um, a lot of dragging me, uh, kicking and screaming, uh, along. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're here and it is really weird to think that this is episode 49.
0: Yes, it is episode 49. Next episode, the season five finale will be episode 50. That's like a huge milestone in the podcasting world. <laughs>
1: yeah, we're like halfway to 100.
0: That is indeed what what 50 is. Uh, but because of this, we wanted to make sure that we had a really good episode for you all today. And I don't think this will disappoint. Today, we are going to be deep diving into National Treasure 2's Cibola. We're going to be taking a look at what our beloved film franchise says Cibola is all about and then we're going to take a look at the actual legends surrounding Cibola and see how the two compare. This is for those who are well versed in National Treasure Hunt lore. This is basically our follow-up episode to episode 39 from the end of season four where we examined the depiction of the Templar treasure in the first National Treasure film. We liked that so much that we decided we had to do it again. (laughs) Oh, yes. And it was challenging, but fun. You know, I feel like these episodes, we always go in a little worried. Like, are we going to be able to find enough content? And then we usually leave the episode being like, did we? Did we learn something?
1: Do we need to cut like half of that out? It's going to be a little long. (laughs)
0: Am I comfortable with the fact that I just felt like I took a history class that I enjoyed, like, in, in high school, college, and I'm not in high school, college, you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's what we all have to look forward to today. But before we dive into Cibola, before we dive into Sylvan Lake, which is purportedly, according to the movies, next to Mount Rushmore, even though it's not, we're diving into a different type of hole. We're diving into Parkington Lane. These are our screams from Parkington Lane, our customary acknowledgement that National Treasure has taken over our lives. And we have just fallen into the pit that exists beneath Trinity Church. Emily, do you have a scream to share this week?
1: Must you ask? Actually, yeah, you probably have to ask because it's a little uncertain week to week. Yes, I have a scream to share. Um, So uh, I know, Aubrey, this is something you've been doing for quite a while um, but you have used the podcast um in uh like professional settings in some ways, uh like on your on your CV and and stuff like that. Um I for the past year or two have had a little note at the bottom of my CV that has said like co-host of National Treasure Hunt Podcast. Um and this week I feel like I feel like as I dive deeper into Parkington Lane, I also mesh more with you as a person.
0: Dangerous.
1: Um, It's very frightening to me. Um, and so, uh, I am currently applying for a, a job and I found myself, uh, actively looking for ways that I could incorporate, uh, the podcast and the interdisciplinary nature of what we're doing, um into the job application to allow um the the committee to to know that i am thinking about these things um in different ways and spoiler alert my the job that i'm applying for is not um not related to national treasure
0: well if it was i'd be jealous and i'd be like send me the job application um but this is very exciting emily i'm i'm gonna tell everyone you know I've been trying to encourage Emily to do more of this in terms of like CV, LinkedIn and whatnot for the better part of the last two years. But I'm glad it's finally seeped in Um, and I'm I'm supportive and I hope you get the job, obviously. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I was on I was on a slow descent, slow I descent think, into Parkington Lane.
0: Yeah. And all the all the the elevator systems, the dumbwaiter system, they hadn't collapsed yet
1: no no they're still working fine for me they're just slow because of the fact that they were old
0: yeah that that's 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 fair we'll take it Aubrey what's your scream ah! <laughs> my scream comes from um my previous weekend I um took a couple days off from work I was forced to take a couple days off from work because I don't take enough time off that's a whole other story um And I decided that I was going to use that time to be a tourist here in Washington, D.C. and go to some places I hadn't been before, one of which was Ford's Theater. I visited Ford's Theater for the first time. Um, It was really cool to see, but the best part was actually not going inside. It was. And this is going to be a shameless plug for something that we do not, you know, get any commission for plugging. Ford's Theater has this tour um that runs in the evening where you basically walk around with an actor who is pretending to be one of the detectives investigating the lincoln assassination and he takes you all around town and, like walks you through the events preceding the assassination and after the assassination he does all these accents emily you would love it but that alone should be a scream right like if it's if this were you that would be your scream mm-hmm. it's deeper than that So on this tour um, that I'm I'm taking, the actor, uh, he's playing Detective McDermott. Detective McDermott takes the tour to something we've talked about here on the podcast before, Herndon House don't know if emily recall herndon house is basically where some of the uh clandestine meetings between booth and the uh, john wilkes booth and the conspirators were immediately prior to the assassination and i was like oh my god so cool we've talked about this on the podcast we're pretty sure that herndon house was the inspiration for the opening scene the tavern scene of national treasure 2 Mm -hmm. we walk around the corner and we stop and the detective mcdermott says this is herndon house i turn and i'm like I've been here before. What? It's not called Herndon House anymore. It's this like fancy hotel. And it has this like fancy little like bar and cafe area on the ground floor. And I have been taken to that cafe before by a colleague of mine. And I almost lost it. I was like, you are kidding me. I have been here before. It has national treasure significance. I did not know. Um, That alone should have been really interesting and fun. I look across the street and what's right across the street from Hernan House? This old building with the words Masonic Temple.
1: Wow.
0: Right across the street. And I was like, what is happening?
1: All the stars are aligning.
0: <laughs> it was very trippy. And that is that whole story is my scream.
1: Wow, Aubrey, that is. Quite the scream. Every time I think that I have a good one that's going to kind of blow the people away, uh, you come with a, a better one. So thank it's... you for continuing to outshine me. This is not this a competition. competition. It's it, it, not... Everything is a competition.
0: Okay, well, at least you said it, not me.
1: <laughs> if you too have a scream that you would like to share or want to weigh in on whose scream you thought was better... Uh, Feel free to check us out on our social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast. We are also available for your listening ears on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your pods. And feel free to check us out on our website, nthuntpodcast.com, where you will find pages and links to pretty much everything we're doing, including our merch store, our national treasure hunt tour, our... Forthcoming book, um, and anything else that you could want to know about
0: us. Yes, I'm sure there's lots they want to know about us. We have such interesting lives. Um, totally. so with all of that said, it is time to dive into the Cibola pit. It's kind of unfair to Cibola that we don't give the, give it its own, you know, pit. You know, but really,
1: it wasn't the original.
0: It wasn't the OG for sure. So. In any case, today, in terms of our analysis of Cibola...
1: Wait, do you know that OG stands for Original Gangster?
0: I do know that.
1: God, that's so weird.
0: You thought it was original?
1: Yeah, I thought it was just an abbreviation <laughs> for original.
0: Just pick random letters in a word and that does it for us. Um, <laughs> good for you. Okay. In terms of our analysis of Cibola today... The episode is going to break down something like this. We're going to start with some movie context in case somehow you've forgotten how Cibola is relevant to National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets, like Emily probably will need. After that, we will give a brief introduction to the concept of Cibola. That'll be Emily's cup of tea for the day. Well, you get another cup of tea later. (laughs) (laughs) Have all the tea the Boston <laughs> fucking tea party up in here. <laughs> I mean, that was good. That was that was good. National treasure relevant. Well done. Then we get into the bulk of the episode, an examination of the components of the treasure of Cibola as portrayed by Book of Secrets. And then finally, we will wrap up with a little bit of a a question and answer of how well does the movie portrays Cibola compared to what legend says Cibola actually should be. So Emily, in the parts that I'm going to take over for the episode today, I really want to answer the questions of, you know, what did the movie say was part of this treasure? Could this temporally make sense in terms of what we see in the treasure? Could these objects or structures we see be considered missing? How much would they be worth today? Are they treasure worthy? That's what I'm going for here. What are you going to be talking about in your sections?
1: Um, I'm going to be pulling a a Riley. um, And I'm going to be talking about, I'm going to be basically diving into the legend of Cibola. Uh, talking about what the legend says is part of Cibola, giving you a little bit of background on the legend of Cibola, and then also talking about how this compares to what we actually saw in the movie.
0: Awesome. Okay, so why don't we dive in with that movie context really quick, just so that we're all on the same page. We want this to be accessible to National Treasure fans and novices alike. So here's where we're going to start. Contrary to popular belief, Ben and crew don't actually immediately know their goal is Cibola at the beginning of Book of Secrets. A lot of people think they do. They actually only figure this out, even tentatively, once they bring the first Olmec plank back from England and show it to Patrick, who thinks that a particular inverted pyramid glyph means Cibola. I mean, even once they end up showing it to Professor Helen Mirren, she basically mocks them and tries to suggest that it's not actually Cibola indicated on the plank. So Emily, I always have to remind myself of that because it's really fascinating that Cibola is not even really in the picture until so far into the film. Do you know, could you identify Exactly when they know they're looking for Cibola. (laughs) Why are you asking me that question? Aubrey, the thing that always confuses
1: me about this movie, I think, is the fact that they don't know they're looking for Cibola from the beginning. So it just feels more like thrown together to me because I'm like, well, like, I get that the point is like, let's try and clear the family name. Mm -hmm. But it's also like, but it's called National Treasure. So, like, we should
0: be looking for a treasure from the beginning. They are looking for a treasure from the beginning. They just don't know what treasure. And the reason I asked you is because sometimes you surprise me, Emily. So I thought I would give you a chance to surprise me. <laughs> that was passive aggressive. It wasn't! It was honest! Okay, whatever. So Thomas Gates, way in the original flashback scene he knew that this cipher led to quote Sibela and temples of gold as he was translating the full cipher. Presumably the KGC guy who's like looking over his shoulder, presumably he also knows this either from the outset, you know, before they even gave the cipher to Thomas to translate, or at least once Thomas muttered it to him, like, in this utter dismay once he realized like what he was decoding. Um, I think it's easy for the viewers to forget that by the time the cipher gets to Ben Gates in the present day, we're only getting a teeny tiny bit of it. We're missing oh, the whole yeah. part that Thomas saw that actually said Cibola and temples of gold. Now True. recall that with his dying breath, Thomas tells his son Charles the words, mm-hmm. the debt that all men pay. And I, in retrospect thinks this is think this is kind of funny because there's no reason for thomas to think that the cipher survived because thomas put the cipher in the fireplace next to him and he doesn't know the kgc guy took it out necessarily because he's like literally sitting there dying you know um Mm. i think that what would have been more useful especially if Thomas is like okay what are the chances the cipher survived it would have probably been you know, arguably more useful for Thomas to use his dying words to say something like cibola <laughs> that would have made it th- the plot Aubrey we need a plot I know we need a plot it's just the more I think about this and things and this movie the more these things just really jump out to me. So I feel like it is like it's... one of
1: the more illogical parts of <laughs> National Treasure.
0: <laughs> okay. So, in the present day opening lecture scene of the movie, we learn that Ben Gates knows there's a treasure, but he doesn't know what treasure. We also find out that Mitch knows there's a treasure, but it's actually unclear whether Mitch knows that it's Sibla. He, of course, doesn't bring it up, but in theory, if his lineage or the lore of his family passes through this KGC guy, you might expect him to actually have a sense that Cibola is at stake. Something I hadn't really thought about before. Mm. Geez,
1: Aubrey, you're making all these new connections for me.
0: Well, I have one more for you, which is... I don't know if I
1: can handle it.
0: it, This one's not that mind-blowing. It's just the fact that I thought really long and hard about it I was like when does Ben know for certain he's looking for Cibola because again the first time it's brought up his dad you know brings it up as a possibility his mom basically says that's not true I'm pretty sure that the moment he figures this out for certain or that it's confirmed let's say that Cibola is at stake Is when Ben reads the words City of Gold out of the president's secret book, which is really freaking late in the movie. (laughs) That is. Jeez. (laughs) I mean, I think that they've been operating under the assumption that this is the case, but that is, I'm pretty sure, the real confirmation, which is crazy.
1: Mind blown.
0: Now, naturally, to wrap up this movie context, I wasn't really intending to blow minds here, but uh, we'll wrap it up with something that's not mind-blowing. Just a reminder, again, for National Treasure novices, that Ben Gates and co. end up finding Cibola in the Black Hills near Mount Rushmore at the end of the movie. It's underground, which is really in accordance with Professor Helen Mirren's translation of that particular glyph that Patrick pointed out. She translated it as center of the earth. And since it's so far underground, it kind of makes sense which I like that self-consistency.
1: Love to see it.
0: We do. So now that we're all on the same national treasure page, let's start talking about the actual legend of Cibola that inspires this movie. Emily, I'm going to turn it over to you.
1: Let's get ready to rumble! Okay, so intro to Cibola. Here we come. Supposedly, this whole legend of Sibylla comes from kind of like multiple angles, um, that kind of coalesce nicely into one story by the end of things. So supposedly there is a medieval legend. Okay. And I spelled medieval wrong here of the seven cities. Okay. Now, some of this is what I've read and some of this is me kind of surmising things along the way. You'll probably be able to tell which is which. Oh, God. Um, this is definitely a semi-Christian based story. Um, really? From what I can tell. Well, it was claimed that an invasion of a group of Arabs drove out Christian bishops on the iberian peninsula
0: this is medieval times you said
1: yeah well it's a yeah yeah so we're talking like early like low low numbers
0: low numbers helpful (laughs) low numbers
1: (laughs) um it's a peninsula off the southwest of europe basically um the iberian peninsula so the reason i say it's probably like Christian-based is because these people are basically claiming that these Arabs, in some cases they're referred to as uh, Muslim groups, um, drove out these bishops, and bishops are Christians. Um, Honestly, it seems like these Arab groups were there first,
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: but that's a problematic history point for another time. Um, The idea is that these seven bishops were forced to leave, and Eventually settle out west. And it was said that settling out west entailed crossing the sea.
0: So you're interpreting this as like crossing the Atlantic Ocean and settling in America? Yes. Huh.
1: And the idea is that each one of these bishops would have settled down and built their own city, creating seven cities okay okay um and this ultimately connects to kind of like what we've talked about previously on the podcast about cibola because um the finding of the aztec empire we're talking years later at this point the finding of the aztec empire led to stories of yet unknown but wealthy civilizations that existed in the new world so this, of course, led people to believe that, like, oh, hey, maybe these seven bishops set up these cities and have this large amount of wealth. Because clearly, if the Aztecs can do it, other people can do it, too. So it's probably not just the Aztecs that have this large, a of wealth and fortune.
0: Interesting.
1: So... Uh, fundamentally, now we're kind of returning to what we've talked about previously in the podcast.
0: So the story that National Treasure Two actually gives in their version of the legend of Cibola.
1: Yes. So um, the idea is that the the legend of Cibola, um, or the the Seven Cities of Gold, as it's often also referred to, is. That this story was shared with Esteban de Durantes, who was a Moroccan enslaved person, who became the first African explorer of North America, and this story was shared with him during his years traveling through the Southwest, what would eventually become United States, um, after escaping captivity. Basically, bad things happened; a lot of people died. So when he and the three other uh, Spaniards that had been on this mission with him that had survived, uh, eventually reached a Spanish settlement in 1536, they started to share stories told to them by natives about cities of gold that were located in the north. Now, Esteban was then sold to the viceroy of New Spain who then tasked him with accompanying a man named Marcos Deniza on an expedition to actually find Cibola. So they heard Esteban's story, which he had gotten from native people uh, as he was traveling through uh, what would later become the United States. They heard his story and they were like, you know what? We believe you. We're going to hire you or enslave you and take you <laughs> on this expedition with us so basically what happened is esteban's job was to like go forth uh go ahead of everyone and kind of like see if there was anything there he eventually did uh find something and sent kind of a a message back to uh deniza to tell him that he or to tell deniza that he had found something presumably cibola um deniza then hurried ahead (laughs) And soon learned that Esteban had been killed either at or near Cibola, which is located in present day New Mexico. Denisa then was very concerned about getting too close (laughs) to Cibola uh, because he also did not want to be killed. (laughs) So he kind of like stood on like a little hill thing and like looked and claimed that he saw the golden city in the distance but like i said he he didn't actually approach it he then went back and reported this and this caused an additional expedition by a man named francisco vasquez de coronado that literally eventually turned up a city of pueblos or just like normal houses uh not gold spoiler alert the area where cibola is is kind of generally thought to be in the same place but everybody refers to it a little differently uh from my sources so like i said sometimes it's referred to as the seven cities of cibola um and this was believed to be in the southwest of north america supposedly in the region immediately north of mexico um and that's where supposedly we can find Cibola or some nice little pueblos.
0: Very, very interesting. I always love revisiting that sort of origin story and really kind of appreciating that National Treasure got the bulk of that right, at least when Ben is reading out of a textbook. So it's a textbook. We hope it's right. Um, yeah. So I had no idea, though, the origins and how it connects back to like some sort of like religious legends, if you will.
1: Yeah, knowledge bomb dropped.
0: (laughs) Well, hopefully, that gives us all even more context for the ensuing conversation, which really begins our descent into deeply analyzing Cibola as portrayed by National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets. Now, the last time we did this episode for the Templar Treasure, Emily, I think I told you that I watched, like, the two-minute-some section of the Templar Treasure reveal, like, eight times, very slow motion. Well, I won up myself. Because the Cibola reveal is actually just over one minute. Mm. So, just really quick, we know that they actually built a set for Siebel It was a right. massive set and they show it for like a minute and 14 seconds um and we don't even see I'll tell you from experience looking at this very closely they don't show you a lot of it which is also kind of interesting we will post a link to this scene on our social media this week so you can check out the one minute and 14 seconds for yourself
1: um feel free to watch it as many times as you want and see if you can one-up Aubrey
0: Honestly, if you can find stuff there that I did not identify, like, I would be very impressed and love to hear about it. So what I decided to do was kind of take a look, get a better sense of what's actually there. Because when I think of the movies Cibola, I pretty much just think of Golden Pyramids. What about you, Em? Yeah. (laughs) So I wanted to know, like, is there more there? Because when we looked at the Templar treasure last season, there was a lot more there.
1: Yeah, I think this is why I was concerned about doing this episode. I was like, are you sure
0: there's enough there? Okay, so let me tell you this. On close watch, I can report back that it is very difficult to tell how many structures there are in this cavern. In part because we only get one side of the room, if you will, in clear view. And also because it's kind of hard to tell where one structure ends and the next one begins. Mm. The darkness in the cavern also doesn't really help matters. <laughs>
1: they didn't do a good enough job of lighting it with their torches, they man.
0: Really didn't.
1: I mean but, in, in National Treasure 1, that whole room lit up. That we did not have that kind of lighting design. Whoever designed the lighting in in Cibola was lacking.
0: Was lacking. I mean, I guess we'll take what we can get. It is in theory it was in theory placed that treasure placed geographically. Much earlier in time than the Templar treasure was buried beneath Trinity Church. So we'll give them a little bit of a little bit of grace. Okay. That being said, if you assume symmetry in the room, I'm gonna guess that there are at least six pyramids, potentially seven or eight, um, in this structure, along with this really, I'm going to call it a central altar type structure. So that's not a pyramid. It's just like a different golden structure. I'll describe it in a minute. Now, like I said, we know that this was a built set, but we also know that they CGI'd parts of the set that the actors wouldn't actually be interacting with in any way. So it's also likely that the more distant looking structures weren't actually there.
1: Mm.
0: So it's a, in a way, not totally surprising. They look a little bit fuzzy and uncountable.
1: (laughs) uncountable
0: <laughs> so because everyone here is really just watching national treasure to count the pyramids i know that's not just me
1: <laughs> we should do that sometime i mean i just did no 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 like all the pyramids in both <gasps> movies I it mean... might be like five well in your case it would be seven or eight plus five <laughs> where are you so... getting
0: five where are you getting another plus five uh just like whenever they look at like the back of a dollar bill or oh. you know anything like that i I like this. Sounds like a fun game. Sounds like a social media competition waiting to happen. Okay. She's she's like, I did not bargain for this. (laughs) Okay. One other thing I wanted to point out from this close watch is that the gold in Cibola is actually a lot more intricately carved you could say, than I had initially realized. There are a lot of like triangular and vertical lines and patterns, specifically on the bricks that make up the pyramids themselves and this central altar structure. Hmm. Now we do know, and this is going to become very important for the way we analyze the rest of what we see. We know that the story writers and set designers were inspired by the Mayan and Olmec cultures, for their depiction of cibola but i will point out that the olmecs especially weren't thought to have a lot of gold um there are parts of the mesoamerican civilizations that were thought to have more or less the ones more in south america in general were thought to have more of it um that being said the olmecs were known more for their jade work Mm. So, a lot I do, of
1: I do remember this from some research.
0: Yeah, a lot of stone carving. It's really beautiful. I've seen lots of pictures online. And the Olmecs were said to have passed on these traditions to the Mayans, mm. who sort of come next temporally in terms of large, well known civilizations. Okay. Now, jade working as a technique was apparently largely lost when the Spanish arrived, which is one of many unfortunate, to say the least, consequences of that arrival. Mm hmm. And so that I found just to be an interesting tidbit. Something else that interests me, Emily, based on how you mentioned the Aztecs in your section, I think we're going to see, based on the discussion to follow, that whether they knew it or not, the set designers, I think we're tapping a bit of Aztec influence in their designs as well.
1: Mm. I wonder if that was purposeful, or if they were appropriating the Aztec culture. I, I don't think that's what was happening. But um, it would be really cool to me if it was, if it was intentional, because they knew these kind of Aztec connections.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I doubt it, because I feel like if it was intentional, they would have said that they would have been like, oh, yeah, we took Olmec, Mayan and Aztec true influences you know um part of it too is there are it is kind of hard to draw lines between what look it, for a layperson. i'm sure if you're an archaeologist that specializes this is not the case but for a layperson, it can be a little bit difficult to draw distinct lines between the cultures based solely on their art um uh, true so before we actually start talking about what the different bits and pieces of gold in national treasure cibola actually look like and how we can relate to them i do have a quick note for you emily that's totally unrelated um as i was watching this final scene like 18 times i really finally heard the i think you call it the playful musical theme hmm oh
1: I- yeah 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 okay yes I thought you meant when the reveal happened.
0: No 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 no. We're talking Zibola,
1: but we're talking like when they're when they're cataloging the
0: final so. scene. Gotcha. Exactly. Yes. And I really heard it. It jumped out at me. I was so proud of myself. And I I have to say it almost gave me Harry Potter vibes. Mm. Like like whimsical when we're all feasting and having fun in the Great Hall kind of vibes. Okay.
1: I li- I like that. Thank you for thank you for relating relating back to me during this episode
0: i mean i do my best okay so unlike the templar treasure depiction in the first movie there's a lot fewer distinct things to pick out and talk about in the second film's cibola but i did find a couple okay Okay. And so I'm going to I'm going to go through each one. We're going to talk about where you'll see it in the scene. We're going to talk about how it actually relates to history and specifically these Mesoamerican cultures. And then we're going to answer the most important question, is it treasure worthy? Which like spoiler alert, all this is gold, so like obviously it's treasure worthy. But because it's obvious, we're going to go one step further and ask how much would it be worth today? That what? That's going to be the most fun part of this conversation, I'm telling you right now. So, the first thing that you see in Cibola, in National Treasure 2, is, Emily, Yes,
1: <laughs> Pyramids. Yes!
0: Gold pyramids and temples. I'm going to go ahead and call them, like, slightly Mayan style. So, these look a lot like the Mayan pyramid ruins that you would have seen in your high school history, you know, world history textbook, things like Chichen Itza um, and other, you know, seven wonders of the world vibes here. Where are you going to see it in the scene? Literally everywhere.
1: (laughs) Pyramids everywhere. (laughs) I
0: mean, there are several that I looked at it immediately and I was like, I've been wanting to go to Chichen Itza for literally my entire life. This looks exactly like it, just in gold. Um, And again, in the center, we have that altar temple thing. To describe it, it looks like there's a a flat structure and then some columns. And those columns are holding up another flat structure and there are some more columns. And sort of at the base in the middle, it looks like there is an actual altar. We'll get to that later. Um, So lots of pyramids and temples here. Now, historically, I think we'd be best suited here to talk about when gold really first appeared on the scene to our archaeological knowledge in terms of again Mesoamerican cultures taking the liberty of the fact that Mesoamerican cultures were not found in present-day South Dakota. True. But the movie still purports that these are Mesoamerican cultures that we're talking about so we're going to focus on them today. So gold first started appearing in the archaeological record for Mesoamerica around 800 AD. And now, this is considered pretty late, like gold appears in other historical contexts way, f- way earlier. Um, something I found really interesting is that priests who had come to the quote-unquote new world um, and wrote about their experiences and the people they encountered, it's actually... These writings that explain to us today how pre-Columbian native cultures actually worked their gold, which was apparently really sophisticated for the time. Um, they actually use, with the exception of like complex techniques we use today, like electrolytic techniques, etc, <laughs> they use all the same techniques we use today. What? Isn't that crazy? That's really cool yeah so one of the most sophisticated techniques they used um was that they would create these wax models so basically whatever you wanted your gold figure to look like they made it out of wax then they um covered the wax mold with ceramic to generate like a hollow mold they filled the mold with molten gold and then basically break off the ceramic to have this gold piece in the exact same shape of the original wax figure what they also would work the gold with salts to get rid of impurities it was it's just so cool so interesting read more about it if you're interested we don't have time I will yeah we don't have time to get into the details which is super unfortunate i will say that gold was an important part of pre-columbian culture um, in mesoamerica um, the largest deposit of Mayan gold ever found was actually found at Chichen Itza. I know I keep referencing it. It's just more motivation for me to eventually get my butt there someday. Um, now, in this particular hoard, this large Mayan hoard of gold found at Chichen Itza, they found um, a variety of things, including what is described as zoomorphic pieces, so animal shaped. That's going to become important in a minute. They also found pendants, bells, figurines, all made via this like wax mold process. Uh, They found hammered discs with scenes of human sacrifice and warfare. So these are sort of some of the trinket or small style gold objects that a culture like the Mayans would have had. Now, how does this relate to actual pyramids? Well, The Mayan pyramids that we're familiar with from our textbooks, you know, of the shape seen in National Treasure 2, those were from around 600 AD, give or take, but we certainly aren't aware of any made from gold. (laughs) That would be a big tourist attraction. Yeah, that would be huge. Um, So we kind of have, like many pieces of National Treasure, a combination of depictions here, right? We have depicted pyramids. But they're depicted in a material that they wouldn't have been made of, but that a material that was used for other stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So, Emily, do you think these pyramids and temples would have been treasure worthy? Like the ones found in national treasure?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, even the ones, you know, the real life. (laughs) Uh, pyramids would be uh, pretty treasure worthy
0: yeah understatement of the century um i think it would be pretty safe to say that the pyramids especially like those that we see a national treasure too made of solid gold would be worth an insane amount of money um just based on the gold alone but again also based on the age and the historical context and the intrinsic value that would just up the value even more um i obviously couldn't go online and be like hey internet what is a gold Chichen Itza worth? Because that doesn't exist. But I did find this really interesting article and I'm going to post it on social media that it basically estimates how much it would cost to build certain like famous ancient landmarks today.
1: What?
0: They didn't have Chichen Itza on this list. The closest thing we had on this article was Machu Picchu. Uh, which is a 15th century Incan city in Peru. So we're we're at least kind of in the same um, geographic region. Now Machu Picchu is not gold; it's granite. Okay. Um, and the cost of the granite alone to build Machu Picchu today would be more than fifty-seven million dollars. What? And then this article also estimates that it would cost about an additional $13 million in, like, labor to build it. For a grand total of at least $70 million. And again, that's not even gold.
1: Jeez. Well, we know the people back then probably weren't getting paid for it. so
0: Almost definitely not. But that's kind of giving you an idea of the treasure worthiness of these pyramids and temples but emily contrary to popular belief and by popular i mean your um
1: (laughs) my belief is popular thank you for thank you for acknowledging that
0: it's not just pyramids underground at cibola
1: okay what else is there because i remember the pyramids being like the dominating force
0: yeah i mean it's mostly pyramids but (laughs) there are also if you look really closely gold statues And gold, like, animal heads kind of sticking off of different structures. Hmm. Now, where are you going to see it? If you want to look really closely, um, there are, I'm going to call them people or human-shaped statues at the base of each of the pyramids. Hmm. Um, Also, once the camera starts actually panning around the room, especially close up on that central temple structure, Mm -hmm. the animal heads come into view very clearly they're probably the most detailed look that we have at a gold structure in the film. So I started to ask myself like, okay, what is the history of gold statues or gold animal figurines um, or even sort of animal heads sticking off of non gold structures? You know, is that, (laughs) is that analogous? Did they literally say, did the set designers literally say, okay, Here's a pyramid and what it looks like in stone. We're going to replicate it in gold, mm-hmm. right? So um, again, I've started my search really with Olmec and Mayan background because that's what the set designers said that they use as inspiration. This is a little bit of, this is, I'm going to tell you the story of my own treasure hunt here. <laughs> um, I started there because it seemed like a logical place to start. And so I started with the Olmecs because again the planks were supposed to be Olmec. So I learned that Olmec figurines are super distinctive. Now we've previewed this on the podcast before, where the Olmecs are famous for these giant, basically boulders sculpted to look like human heads. Mm-hmm. So those are an important part of Olmec figurine art. But there are also, there's also like a, a lineage of Olmec figurines called the baby faced. Figurines <laughs> and so these are like full body sculptures, they're not that big, um, but they have very infantile features. Okay, there's also the elongated man class, if you will, um, which is similar vibe as the baby face figurines, but they're not babies. <laughs> like, that's really that's it, it's like a standing figure.
1: those are kind of like the tall statues that are sinus.
0: No, it looks a lot more like people than the tall statues okay. you're seeing Fair. Um, but interestingly, there's not really animals here in the Olmec figurine lineage. Oh. So I move on to the Mayans. And so I read this article on the, the Met, like the New York Met website, that read, quote, the most common subjects in Mayan art are mortal rulers and supernatural beings end quote the article goes on to explain that gold is certainly not a typical medium for these figures hmm. um so we could get a little bit of mayan influence in sort of the people-shaped statues in Cibola, if you will okay but to get to the animals i was really <laughs> puzzled by this i was like okay mayans Olmec, not they're not sculpting animals on a whim, I looked at the Aztecs, and this is where the Aztec influence, I think, really starts coming into play. Ooh. So based on an article I found from um, a gold website called Glint, <laughs> um, the animal heads found on the pyramids, nope, the animal heads found on that central temple structure, these are really the only statues we get a really good look at in, in the scene, they look a little bit more like Aztec goldworking from around 800 or 900 AD. Um, gods and goddesses were once again, you know, supernatural beings, the most common Aztec sculpture subjects. But you do get animals in the mix. You get plants. You get like practical structures like boxes and and vases and things like that. Even musical instruments uh, would be sculpted by by mm-hmm. the Aztecs. Yeah. Um, I will say that the concept of animal heads sticking off of pyramids and structures seems to date back to at least the original Teotihuacan civilization, which predates both the Mayans and the Aztecs, but for some reason, people conflate this civilization with the Aztecs because the Aztecs found the city many years after it was abandoned, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, So we're getting a mix of cultures here in terms of these Definitely. statue representations.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I, I wasn't anticipating that much of a mixture, really. I, yeah. I thought it was going to be like one thing they were basing it off of.
0: To be honest with you, like, this is a little bit of a spoiler alert because we have a couple other things to discuss here. But when the set designers said they were inspired by the Olmecs, I don't know if they were lying and saying that to, like, coincide with the fact that the planks were supposed to be Olmec. Mm. Or if they were just, you know, not doing super in-depth research and didn't realize that what they depicted is not Olmec-like at all.
1: Wow. <laughs> that, you know, that's something, and this is a little off topic, but that's something that I hope that they uh, can kind of address a little better. Um in the 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 streamer series that's coming out, um, especially because we kind of know where um, some of the treasure is going to be based, mm-hmm. I, I would hope that you know in this day and age they they would take a little more care uh, in doing like the extra the extra research to really make sure that it fit.
0: For sure. Now, to be fair, I do not know what archaeological information was available in 2007 um the olmecs are one of the mesoamerican civilizations if not the mesoamerican civilization that we know the least about um so there there could just be also a lack of um available information at the time too i don't want to i don't want to throw them under the bus there but emily i will now ask you would you consider the statues treasure worthy
1: and i guess i don't think i'd put them in my house but like to some people sure
0: fair okay so i did some digging online very i really enjoy going to sketchy websites to see how much you know you can buy priceless antiquities for um genuinely it's super fun but it like really grosses me out that you can do this mm. um statues of different mesoamerican origins and of various subjects sizes and materials notably not gold okay so we're not mm-hmm. talking gold here They can be purchased online for an average of, I would say, around $15,000, though, and these are not large. These are like tabletop sized, Um, though I will know that the highest that I saw on one website was a Mayan terracotta bowl, so like ceramic bowl, if you will, for $24,000. Jeez. Yeah, so- That is treasure worthy. Yeah, I would say that if you turn these into gold and you make them really large, like we would see in Book of Secrets, uh, yeah, certainly treasure worthy. Definitely. Okay, Emily, the next thing we're going to go into is the gold altar. We get the best view of it when Professor Helen Mirren is having her whole Scrolls from the Library of Alexandria moment. Mm -hmm. And Ben's like, oh, yeah, mom, that's where they slip the throat and cut the heart out. Right. right i mean that's literally what this structure was or was replicating it is believed that mesoamerican human sacrifice um as a practice may have originated with the olmex oh um But it was passed down into other cultures as well. Because remember, a lot of these cultures, these civilizations, they're in some ways sequential, like it's very clear which ones came first, if you will, and then second and third, etc. But there is some overlap in them as well. And that leads to a lot of traditions being passed down, kind of like that jade working we talked about earlier, right? Mm -hmm. So. Mayan culture was certainly known to include human sacrifice. Uh, Blood was thought to kind of sustain their gods. Um, In the Mayan culture, their sacrifices were typically kind of high status prisoners of war. Oh, wow. Um, I don't want to go into a lot of detail on like how the sacrifices were carried out because it's Very disturbing, I think, to to most people who are not super well-versed in in these cultures. Um, But I will mention that a little bit of one method, because it's relevant here. One method employed by the Mayans was basically removing the still-beating heart. Um, This was preceded um, by bloodletting from another part of the body um potentially the mouth or nose so ben's little trite comment about like that's where they slit the throat right that Mm. was actually pretty accurate okay um before they again ben comment cut the heart out and this procedure was conducted on a stone or a wooden altar Mm. okay so once again, we're not talking about a gold altar, but of course it would be a gold altar if it was the Cibola altar, right? Sure,
1: <laughs> naturally.
0: So um, I'll say that, you know, Aztec culture, since we've brought the Aztecs into this now, uh, Aztec culture also has human sacrifices. The practices differ a little bit uh, just for completeness. But Emily, what do you think? Gold altar, treasure worthy? Yeah, but like,
1: are they purchasable?
0: That's a great question, Emily.
1: <laughs> I mean maybe not gold ones, but even non-gold ones.
0: I it's I will admit. It's really hard to find these on sale, which is probably a very good thing. <laughs> um for multiple reasons, you know, from the whole like not stealing culture thing and from the also not human sacrificing people thing. Um but one example I did find was an aztec stone altar okay this was dated to be somewhere between 1450 and 1521 ad now emily this altar tiny it was only about 40 centimeters tall
1: how much is a ruler
0: uh, you mean like a like a 12 inch ruler a 10 think this is 10 centimeters folks you can't see this at home but i'm showing emily how big 10 centimeters is this okay times 4
1: Okay. Cool.
0: Yeah. So this um, was sold at this like auction house in Paris in 2020 for like the estimated cost, like the estimated value, let's say that they put on this uh, piece before it was sold, was thirty thousand to fifty thousand euros. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm guessing again,
1: that's a lot of. U.S. money, too.
0: (laughs) It is equivalent to a little bit more
1: U.S. Ah, money. There you go. That is a lot for a very small thing.
0: Yeah, super small. And again, stone. So amplify it to, like, person size and turn it gold. And yeah, you're talking a pretty penny. Hmm. Um. Okay. I have two more things for us to dive into. They're not going to take a long time. Because there are two more things for us to talk about here, though. Are you surprised? We're going to get to five items to talk about here.
1: (laughs) It is frankly shocking.
0: That's what we're here for, okay? The next thing we're going to see, you would be absolutely justified in having not noticed this. But there is a gold mask-looking piece of art on the wall. It's on a stone wall. Um, where you're going to see it is behind Emily, Professor Harold Marin. and Patrick as they enter the Cibola room for the first time. Recall the group is split into two and they both just happened upon Cibola at the same time from two different pathways.
1: I mean, movie magic, right? Yeah.
0: So it's right behind them. You will see it quite clearly if you know to look for it. Okay. Um, so I asked myself, I was like, okay, let's say this is a mask because it looks like a mask. Um, I was finding in my research two primary uses for gold masks in Mesoamerican culture. The first is funerary masks, so placed over the body in the funerary, you know, arrangements, if you will. And then also, get this, they were given to Spaniards as kind of a gift if the Spaniards left, like, pieced out. Hmm um
1: like as incentive to leave
0: yeah basically oh and and so this I found really interesting just because the personal connection here um I did my graduate studies at Princeton for folks who are listening and I learned that there is an Aztec mask for this Spanish incentive purpose if you will at the Princeton Art Museum Mm. um but it was wooden that had flecks of gold leaf remaining Oh. So these masks, these incentive masks, I'm gonna call them that now. Um, <laughs> they weren't necessarily solid gold, which I kind of love
1: that's that's really cool. That makes me wonder about some of the other some of the other stuff as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, gold art in general was certainly also fairly common in Mesoamerican um pre-columbian cultures. But I would say, more so for south american cultures like again the the incans in present-day peru okay so So, it's a little
1: bit of a stretch here
0: yeah i mean again these were the the south american cultures were the ones that had more ready access to gold so Mm. it's not surprising that they had more of this stuff um now is it treasure worthy would a gold mask Be treasure worthy from these cultures. And Emily, this one's going to blow your mind if the last one surprised you. Okay. So in April of 2018, Mm -hmm. the same auction house in Paris that I mentioned in the previous deep dive point, Mm -hmm. they sold an Olmec. Mask. It dated from the years 900 to 300 BC.
1: Now, oh, so that's when we're like traveling back in time, but yep. not really, but it, it looks like it.
0: And it was made not from gold, but again, jade. Ooh. It sold for 307,500 euros. What? Yeah.
1: That is insanely cool.
0: I know. I know. I These are things that I would love to see in a museum in the country where it belongs, but would love to see it. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yes, I, I like that caveat, though. <laughs> that's very important.
0: Okay, so Emily, we have one more thing to discuss. And this is one that you should actually maybe remember because Riley is involved with it. Do you have any idea what I'm about to say?
1: Yeah, doesn't Riley put like a gold bar in his backpack or something?
0: Oh, my God. I'm so impressed. Yes. Gold bricks. Ah! Okay. So this is the last thing we're going to do here. And this, I saved this for last because it's kind of funny. And then it's also going to blow your mind at the end. Okay. So where are you going to see it? um as emily mentioned riley is trying to put these massive gold bricks into his backpack kind of when everyone's having their own personal moment in cibola before it starts flooding fun fact the brick that he was holding in his hands was completely cgi there was nothing in his hands there Uh, i feel
1: like they could have put something in his
0: hands for that i mean we've talked about this before so don't look too shocked um but it's very impressive you'll also see it turns out more gold bricks um when the camera zooms out on that central temple structure they're sort of lying on the floor of that structure okay now it's really unclear why there were just like random bricks on the floor (laughs) um i'm sure we're supposed to assume that they were just like leftovers from when in National Treasure lore, the Olmecs were building these pyramids, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If you read the National Treasure prequel books with us, the Gates Family Mystery Series, you'll know that a big revelation from book number three uh, implies that the Roanoke colonists found Cibola. Mm. So, like, maybe they were the ones that, like, dislodged the bricks and they were trying to, like, take them. Ooh. That's very possibly, very deep cut. Um, I believe it, personally. But, uh, you know, Mesoamerican cultures... It's not like you can go online and find, like, perfect rectangular prism gold bricks that belong to the Mayans or something like that. You know, the Mesoamerican cultures really did carve their gold for the most part. You wouldn't find these perfect, you know, blocks anyway. It doesn't make sense. Um, That's cool. Yeah, they made... They made breastplates, masks, jewelry, adornments for temples. So this could give you a Cibola-esque vibe, I guess, mm-hmm. um, as well as other materials out of gold for religious practices. Um, but now think with me for a second. Take us back to the beginning of this episode. I could imagine using this wax mold method that we discussed earlier to create perfect gold bricks if absolutely necessary like if you were going to create a massive underground city mm.
1: look at that 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 is wise mm.
0: now we know that riley thinks the bricks in Sibola are treasure worthy so i'm assuming emily that you do too
1: i mean i i agree with him
0: all right well this one is going to blow you away so obviously i can't tell you specifics of the gold bricks that Riley found, Mm -hmm. but I can tell you that a standard gold bar, you know, the ones you see stereotypically in movies, they're kind of trapezoidal in shape. Yeah. yeah. They weigh over 27 pounds. What? And they must have a minimum purity of 99.5% gold. As (sighs) such... A standard gold bar is worth seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Your face is telling me everything right now.
1: But I just like why make it that? Why make a gold bar like that?
0: (laughs) I'm not done. You ready? Okay. The website moviemistakes.com, which is like an aggregator of where you can put in like move like editing mistakes and stuff for different movies. They note that the brick that Riley found and tried to put in his bag, they say that it's roughly three inches thick, eight inches wide, and 12 inches long. Okay. They go on to say that, quote, a brick of gold this size would weigh around 250 pounds which would make it nearly impossible for Riley to carry around even in a backpack. Yeah,
1: Riley's not carrying that. (laughs) He he can't lift 250 pounds.
0: Now, the website goes on to say that, quote, even if it were 10 karat gold in the brick, so not even terribly pure, it would still weigh over 100 pounds. Now, that's the end of our little insight from moviemistakes.com. But I wanted to do a little, like, math And do like a little weight ratio? Of course you did. Well, I wanted to know how much Riley's brick would have been worth. It turns out that one brick would have been worth $6.9 million.
1: So, I mean, Riley was not necessarily doing the the correct thing in, in taking that. But in terms of trying to gain... Uh, monetary advantages from the situation he definitely had his eyes on the prize.
0: further underscoring that his motivations were the wealth here we've talked about it before but also further underscoring that he is truly an audience stand-in because isn't that what most audience members would do
1: yes riley i support you i would try and carry 250 pounds
0: Okay, so that's pretty much our deep dive into what National Treasure says is inside of Cibola. So, quick recap based on my intro questions. Could this temporally make sense? Yes. Gold was readily available and used in pre-Columbian civilizations, particularly in the civilizations referenced in the film. Though, again, it is still unclear to me why they chose the Olmec, as again, they're like least likely to have the gold <laughs> instead Ryan. of the Mayans or the Aztecs, unless... Here's my Aubrey conspiracy theory of the day. The National Treasure folks could have been trying to like raise awareness of a much lesser known civilization. I did not know the Olmecs existed until National Treasure, to be completely frank. Or conspiracy theory number two, the National Treasure creators were trying to assert that we don't think the Olmecs had gold because all of it was actually buried in Cibola. So we just haven't found it yet.
1: well Aubrey I have some news for you coming up about (laughs)
0: that I think is
1: going to disappoint that
0: theory a little bit but continue okay well let me wrap up here the question of could these objects be missing sure each of the objects that we see portrayed are common Mesoamerican objects, they're just not necessarily or typically made of gold. If they ever were made of gold, we certainly aren't aware of them or know where they are today. So sure, they could be missing. And are they treasure worthy? Duh.
1: Well put. Well put, Aubrey. So, <laughs> you know, now I'm going to I'm going to take all of that really cool knowledge uh some speculation but but a lot of interesting things and i'm gonna really um combine it with the legend that we talked about at the beginning of the episode and (laughs) bring us to a crashing screeching halt back down to earth Okay? okay so
0: again what emily's gonna do here is basically say the real world legend of cibola says it looks like this national treasure says cibola looks like this are we on the same playing field here and something tells me the answer is going to be no
1: It, it depends on the way that you're looking at it so so let me let me let me take you into my thought process here which is a scary thing in and of itself so i initially when i was getting ready to look this up i was like okay well cibola is city of gold so like, Aubrey, what are you doing telling me to research what history or legend says is found in Cibola? It's literally, like, the legend is that it is a city made of gold.
0: So you thought at the beginning, like I did, that it was basically what we saw in National Treasure.
1: Yeah. Um. Spoiler, it's not. <laughs> uh, so we have a couple different... um. I was able to find a couple different kind of representations of what people over time said um, they had seen or claimed to have seen, even if they didn't really see it, uh, in Cibola. So first we have Esteban. When Esteban described what he had seen, he described uh, Cibola as seven large cities that were all ruled by one person. So this uh, tracks with the idea that Cibola can also be referred to as the seven cities of gold. Um, That in Cibola, we saw large houses that were made not of gold, but of stone and mortar.
0: No way.
1: Um, There were decorations on the entrances of houses of like more important people. So I I would assume he would have made the assumption that these houses were for more important people because they were like larger and just looked a little more grandiose, but there were decorations on the entrances. Um, some of those decorations were things like turquoise. Um, and so I know turquoise isn't Jade, but it's kind of giving me similar vibes. Totally. Um and then he also noted that people were generally like well clothed. Okay. So from Esteban's account what we're really getting is like no mention of gold.
0: That's so <laughs> interesting.
1: It just seems like it's a nice a nice like well off place.
0: Like a wealthy community like maybe he was using gold as like a hyperbolic adjective almost which is hilarious to me yeah
1: and like i said this is only like one report of esteban describing what he had seen you know we obviously know that he was killed or presumed to have been killed so there weren't uh, a ton of opportunities for him to really explain what he had seen um so as we as we know um Deniza, who was the uh, man that followed Esteban after he had been killed, didn't actually go into the city mm-hmm. um, because he was afraid he would be killed like Esteban. Um, but apparently he still wrote about it um, and, and what he, quote unquote, saw like in from, the distance. Yeah. From that, like hill. Um, he claimed that he had seen giant pearls and emeralds. So once again, we're getting emeralds, jade, like not the same, but like kind of like we're talking jewel-ish type things. Um, He claimed he saw some gold, so some gold and silver plates that he said people were eating off of. Um, I did see a couple accounts of things. That suggested that this might have literally just been because, like, the sunlight was like gleaming off of things, (laughs) so he thought they were gold or silver. I'm not really sure, but he claimed that. Um, and he thought he saw sentries that were guarding a large structure which he described as a quote unquote storehouse of wealth. Maybe he thought there was more gold in there, I'm not really sure. Um, And then he claimed that the seven cities of Cibola that he saw were probably equal in population to Mexico City. Now, that seems kind of unimportant because, right, we're talking about like the treasure, not the city structure itself. Um, But it's actually kind of cool that uh, Deniza was actually kind of right in this case, in that the cities were ultimately part of a wealthy urban Complex. Uh, they were part of the Zuni Cibola Complex in what is now New Mexico, and this this complex was basically a large trade center. Um, and surprisingly, this actually fits with some Spanish sources, which suggest that Cibola was basically just another name for the Zuni Pueblo and surrounding areas. So we're kind of talking about the same thing here. Um, And there, the uh, Spanish sources claimed that they found copper and turquoise mines. Um, And the Pueblo Indians, including the Zuni, are well known even today for their turquoise and silver work. So once again, right, we're seeing some turquoise, we're seeing some pearls, we're seeing some emeralds. Like Maybe we're looking at some jade-like things. Um, but once again, a reminder, we didn't see jade in, in the Sibola scene in National Treasure 2. We, we literally saw gold. Um, so the only gold thus far that we have tracked through two, uh, or I guess three, including the Spanish sources, accounts are potentially some some gold plates. which uh, With gold plates, which were also thrown in with some silver plates.
0: I don't know what i'm getting out of this is that denisa had really freaking good eyesight if he could be standing on a distant hill and see what people were eating off of
1: yeah yeah um we'll we'll get to that uh as i wrap up my section uh, <laughs> but just to uh, uh just to kind of kind of round out what we're talking about here um, Uh, Coronado, who is someone that I mentioned earlier when I was giving the history of Cibola, he led an expedition uh, to Cibola um, after Deniza, and thinking, basically, based on what Deniza had said, like, great, we're going to see this gold, because apparently he thought that the gold plates were, like, suggesting that there was going to be a lot of gold. I I don't really know. Maybe Deniza really played it up. Um, but when Coronado got to Cibola, he found broken ceramics, empty houses, and dead bodies, uh, instead of large amount of large amounts of gold and jewels. So, I mean, if we want to get really morbid here, and we're talking about, uh, you know, Cibola as it's portrayed in National Treasure Two. Uh, I mean, technically, they did leave Mitch down there, so that is a dead body. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe that's a point of comparison. You can see I'm really reaching here.
0: No, I, I mean, there were... Lots of other dead bodies en route to Cibola and National Treasure too. Remember they saw those skeletons. Mm-hmm. Remember the fun uh, little scene that's in the trailer, but not the actual movie of Riley looking over the tilt platform and being like lots of death and despair because he's looking at a pile of skeletons. Mm-hmm. Totally mm-hmm. tracks. Yeah.
1: So that was that was there. Um, and then there were some different reports that I was reading from from some different places um supposedly you know some of these people that had quote-unquote seen cibola um came back and reported that there was so much gold in cibola that one-fourth of the males there were actually goldsmiths um and that it was common that they saw a uh, golden kitchen utensils so i don't really know why the main uh, the main thing that we're seeing across these stories when it is in reference to gold is like kitchen paraphernalia. But I mean, you know, I, I will say. Didn't really see um, any kitchen like utensils or uh, eating apparati, uh in Cibola in National Treasure 2, so we're not doing so hot there. Um, in my research, I did not really see mentions of pyramids. Uh, in fact, as I mentioned, there actually were just distinct descriptions of houses, right, rather than pyramids. There, there were um, uh, some ornately decorated temples that were claimed to be there, though. So we we do have that connection. Like maybe there were some temples, not not made out of gold, but decorated, um, and then. I'm, you know, once again, really trying to grasp here. Maybe the wall art, the golden wall art that we see in the movie could maybe be related to the golden kitchen utensils and plates. I I don't really know. But (laughs) overall, we did not do a good job of representing what was thought to be in Cibola, but that was also partly because what was thought to be in Cibola was like not super attainable
0: i kind of feel like this introduces a whole other question that we won't dive into today but if folks who are listening have ideas i would really love to hear them on social media um i think national treasure's portrayal of cibola is the exact thing that pop culture portrays cibola to look like as a Mm -hmm. standard rule i also think it's what we as you know when we're in middle school ancient civilizations classes, it's what we end up thinking based on what we're taught, the little that we are taught. So I really want to know, when did that image of Cibola become so warped in the modern public eye? I mean, obviously it's flashy and it's flashy and pretty to have gold in a motion picture, but even textbooks, like Why, when I was in middle school, did I think that Cibola looked exactly like what National Treasure would eventually portray it as? Isn't that weird?
1: That is weird. And Aubrey, I don't think you meant to do this, but you actually kind of led me a little bit into the final thing that I wanted to share that I had found in my research. So, um, you know, you're mentioning the, the idea that textbooks um, are portraying things in, in in a certain way, and that's giving us the impression that Sibola may or may not look differently. Uh, and it kind of speaks to the idea that, uh, you know, history is in the hands of the storytellers, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever side is telling history is the one that's going to come off better, and it's not necessarily going to be an accurate representation of what happened. So, um, you know, we, we've been kind of mentioning it throughout the episode, about some like cultural appropriation-related things, uh, we we've mentioned wanting to not see some of these ancient artifacts be like sold on the black market, but rather be in the museums, like you said, of the the places that they are actually from. Um, and I thought this was just a really important um, thing to end on. So this is actually a quote from an article that we can link to. Um, On social media. And it was written by a man named Joshua J. Mark. Um, And this is where I got a a decent amount of my information from. Uh, But he ended his article by saying, quote, continual praise of expeditions like Coronado's is comparable to admiration heaped on a bank robber who, after killing everyone in the building, stumbles upon a rare coin. History texts regularly focus on the coin, while largely ignoring the cost of its discovery. The seven cities of Cibola never existed any more than El Dorado or Quivira. But the quest to find these imaginary places resulted in the destruction of very real ones. And that is the real story of Cibola. So... I mean we we obviously we know that the seven cities of Cibola existed right in the context um that we were talking about in terms of like the seven pueblos and stuff like that uh, but I think what uh Joshua's really getting to here is the idea that like these these cities of gold never existed and just because someone found an inkling of gold right doesn't doesn't discount all of the harm that was done in finding this. And we didn't talk about it in this episode because, you know, we wanted to kind of keep things light and uh, national treasure related. But, you know, there, I I did read a lot of uh, not so great things that happened uh, during these conquests and these treasure hunts that that people were on. So I, I think that's just an important point to note moving forward.
0: Thanks, Em. I think that was a really great way to end. Um, I think that gives us a lot to think about. And on top of things to think about, we also hope that all of you learned something from this episode, whether it be, um, you know, about sort of the history of treasure hunting, whether it be about what legend actually says is inside of sibola and how it was totally not what I thought. And oh my gosh, my world is turned upside down. Or whether it is just the fact that more than just temples and pyramids appear in National Treasure Cibola. We hope you uh, you learned something along with us today.
1: Yes, and if you did learn something along with us, or you didn't, and want to tell us about it... Feel free to find us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast. We are also available for your listening ears on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your pods that you then insert into or over your ears. Please go ahead, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review. Do really whatever you can on those various sites to let us know that you're with us on this adventure. And yeah, we look forward to talking to you.
0: We do, especially because very soon you're not going to hear from us for a little tiny bit because it's almost the off season of National Treasure Hunt. This has been the penultimate episode of National Treasure Hunt season five, and we're so excited to bring you a very riveting season finale next time around on the pod as always we will be concluding season five with a very special guest interview and no i'm not going to tell you who it is (laughs) because you got to come back to find out but rest assured it will be national treasure related and you will enjoy it so hey until then i'm aubrey
1: and i'm emily
0: and thank you so much for joining us on our national treasure hunt